him because he first loved us. And it is our pleasure, and it's the proper protocol, to say thank you. And we commune with him, we experience his presence when we give him thanks for all that he has done for us. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story of Jesus having dinner at the house of a very religious man. And a woman of ill repute that obviously before this day Jesus had ministered to, she had a past that the host of the dinner looked down on. She came in and knelt at Jesus' feet and began to weep. And her tears covered his feet and she began to wipe his feet with her hair. It was worship extreme. And... The religious man couldn't understand why Jesus would allow such a thing to happen and why he would allow a woman with a past to touch him. If he was a holy man, why is this going on? And Jesus told him a story. He said there was a creditor who had two debtors. One debtor owed the creditor 500 denarii. And the other debtor owed the creditor 50 denarii. And when they had nothing with which to repay, the creditor freely forgave both debtors of their debt. One for 50, one for 500. And then Jesus asked this religious man, tell me, which of these two debtors will love the creditor more? Yeah, that's good. That's good. And the Pharisee said, the one who he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have rightly judged. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loves much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Why do we sing so much? Why do we worship him so much? Because he's forgiven us of so much. He's forgiven us of so much. And maybe your past isn't embarrassing, but if you realize how much the creator of the universe loved you, you would want to sing too. (laughs) We just want to worship him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our meeting, Lord. May we leave this place changed before this meeting is over. In Jesus' name, amen.
In June of 1974, this man, Charles Chuck Colson, pled guilty for attempting to spread damaging information about someone and obstructing justice. At a federal prison in Alabama, he found a small but steadily growing Christian community within its walls. And upon his release, seven months later, the man was transformed, and he decided to start a prison ministry 35 years ago. 
The logo for his ministry, which was known as Prisons Fellowship, originally was a bent reed referencing Isaiah 42.3 that says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It reflected Colson's belief for the rest of his life that no one, not the most hardened criminal nor the most corrupt egotistical Washingtonian, was beyond hope. He went home to be with the Lord a week ago yesterday, April 21st. In his final speech, during which he collapsed, he said these words concerning hostility towards Christians. He said, if things are bad, don't think it's going to be solved by an election. It's going to be solved by us. He warned his audience not to listen to caricatures of Christians. And I love this. He said, we're also seen as wanting to impose our views on people. But don't let them tell you that. We don't impose anything. We propose. We propose an invitation to the feast. To come to a better way of living, a better way of life. It's the great proposal. And I hope that we would continue his legacy and his ministry would continue. But we would be people that would propose freedom from guilt and shame through the shed blood and finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. John chapter 40, verse 3, says Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. I don't think the disciples were happy about this. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? Because he had a mission. He had a mission. I'm going to talk to you today on welcome to the real shame-free zone. So he came to a city of Samaria, verse 5, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Can you say noon? Hottest time of the day. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They were considered an unclean people, a half-breed people, a people with corrupt religion, a people with an impure faith, a people who were not worthy of being blessed, a people that the Jews as a whole at that time looked down upon. They shamed them, not only for how they lived, but for how they got that way back in their history. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband 
and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. So she was shacking up. Maybe she tried to convince herself, well, in the eyes of God, we're married. But in the eyes of Jesus, she wasn't married. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she tried to go religious to divert the attention off of her. She said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Jacob worshipped here. You know, we're going back to the roots of our faith. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the time is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Who wants to be a worshiper the Father is looking for? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he spoke with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot. She came there to get water. She left her bucket there and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? He said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say, do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believe because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you make it alive to us. Turn this story into more than just a lesson with a moral, but Lord, into a revelation that will transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. My title this morning is The Shame-Freeing Life of Jesus. The last two Sundays we talked about freedom from shame through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. 
how in his finished work, he fully identified with our shame and the ramifications of everything that brought us shame. From wearing thorns to sweating blood to having a heel bruised to being hung on a tree, he identified with our shame and the curse that sin had brought upon us to fully redeem us and pay the full price. But before he went to the cross, he lived a life of freeing people from shame. And in this story is an example of this thing happening. He not only preached repentance, but he practiced a life of forgiving people of their sins and giving them a new start, which I believe is to continue through us. I believe as a church, we are to continue the ministry Jesus began because of his finished work and because of the life that he's given us. He took our life upon himself and placed his life of righteousness upon us that we could continue his legacy of seeing people freed from shame. Here's some thoughts about this woman. Women drew water in the morning when it was cool. Perhaps she came at noon due to shame. Not only was she a Samaritan shamed by the neighboring nation, but she was shamed within her own community. She'd been married five times and now she was shacking up with somebody. So she came alone. Women are social creatures. What's going on? I think probably she's living a life of shame and so during the hottest part of the day is when she came to get water. She also had racial issues going on. But Jesus told her the truth without shaming her. He just said, hey, salvation's of the Jews. It's in the Scriptures. You're wrong. But there's coming a time when where you worship is not as important as who you worship. Jerusalem or this mountain's not the issue. Worshiping the Father in spirit and truth is what he's looking for. That time's coming. So he pointed to the future even though her present was as wrong as could be. Her community knew who she was, and yet she became a persuasive witness. You know, when she said, come see a man, I wonder if some people say, oh, you mean another guy? <laughs> As she was so transformed, she came out of her shell of shame and had an impact on her city. And because of her, Jesus stayed in that town for two days ministering to them. Her town experienced the shame-free love and truthful ministry of Jesus for 48 hours. An awesome thing happened. A few years later, the church is born, and an evangelist named Philip goes to Samaria to preach and has an amazing harvest of soul. And I think it relates back to the visit that Jesus paid to that community. He went to his hometown at the beginning of his ministry to synagogue, as was his custom. He grew up in this synagogue, and they handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he began to read. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He then closed the book and said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Basically, he read that scripture and proclaimed that this was his mission. The Holy Spirit had come upon him when he was baptized. And he was anointed to preach good news to poor people. 
people that have been looked down upon. You know, some people are poor because of calamity. Some people are poor because of a lack of wisdom. Some people are poor because they've made others poor and their wallets have holes in them. That's not the point. There's good news for them. They can be freed from the shame of being poor. He was sent to heal people with broken hearts. Maybe you've experienced shame because your spouse left you for somebody else. Made to feel less than what you are. Jesus comes to heal our broken hearts and to lift that shame off of us. To proclaim liberty to the captives. To preach in prisons. To set people free. Maybe they still have to fulfill their sentence, but they don't have to serve their sentence in bondage to shame for the rest of their life. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. Some people experience such shame, they live in hopelessness and despair. Like vegetables, they become pipsqueaks who never speak out because they have such a strong sense of unworthiness and condemnation and shame covers them like their clothing. Jesus came to set us free. And He did that to this woman at the well to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He doesn't put us on probation to receive His forgiveness. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. He took the punishment for us. And in His life, He demonstrated His mission. This is a lens through which to view everything Jesus did. All goes back to this. And I believe this is what we are to do if we're to continue His ministry. Isaiah 61 is where he was reading. And in my New King James Version, this is how it reads. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus was a warrior and everywhere... He performed an act of kindness. It was actually an act of war from the viewpoint of our enemy. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. This is what Jesus came to initiate, and this is what we are to continue. Cat, I snagged this off your Facebook. Unless we shame this church, I blocked out their name. Notice they left themselves out. I don't see the word moron in there anymore. Sorry. But this is based on the lack of understanding the mission of Jesus. Shame-based theology is built on the wrong foundation. It's built on the wrong foundation. The truth is everyone's going to hell unless they repent. But singling out things you don't like, vegetarians, are you serious? I guess Adam and Eve are going to hell. Everybody before Noah's going to hell because they were all vegetarian. Lord, help us. 
be people that live lives that free people from shame. Not that shameful things are no longer shameful, but that Jesus paid to redeem us. He became the antidote for the snake bite of shame to free us so that we can begin to live a life of following Him and so that He can break our addictions that would bring shame upon us. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 talks about Jesus right now. This verse is just as true today as it was when it was written. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted. He knew what it was like to have people try to put shame on him. Read the gospel. Stand there for a while. You start to notice them trying to discredit him, trying to put shame on him. Remember the statement where they said, we have Abraham as our father. That was a dig at him. They accused him of being a bastard. His dad was actually a Roman soldier. They questioned the legitimacy of his birth. Trying to put shame on him. But he was the Teflon man. Nothing stuck. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have found this promise to be true where I have come to Him boldly. Not because I'm worthy, but because He made the way. Maybe you suffer rejection. He knows what that's like. Betrayal, he knows exactly what that's like. Abandonment, he knows what that's like. Fears coming at you from all sides, he knows what that's like. Have an issue with God for why things are working out in your life, he knows what that's like. Never, 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 never allow shame to keep you from coming boldly to the throne of grace. And that throne's not on some mountain somewhere that you have to climb up on your knees till they're bleeding to gain some sense of worthiness. They're not in some far-off city where you have to make a pilgrimage. The mountain is here. Call on the name of Jesus and you are there. The life that He lives, He continues to live, freeing people from shame. And we are His agents to do the same in the lives of others. Back to Samaria. A few years later, Acts 8 happened. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, which no doubt was near this village where Jesus had ministered, and preached Christ to them. The region of Samaria had a city called Samaria. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Verse 12, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. There had been prep work done. You remember when we were reading the original text today? He said, The harvest is plentiful. Why didn't the harvest? He told them, I'm sending you To reap where you have not sown. Jesus went there and sowed the seeds of the gospel. And Philip went there 
and reap the harvest. We cannot reap the harvest of the gospel if we have shame-based theology. Because it is a perversion of the truth. Sin is sin. The gospel is where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. For you see, the provision that Jesus gave through his death is the ultimate gift of righteousness that came through the ultimate act of sin. The ultimate, the worst, the most hyenas crime and most blasphemous act of rebellion against God was performed the day Jesus died. You know, you can slap me around, I can slap you around, but if someone was to slap our kids around, that's a bigger offense, right? It's in Romans. The ultimate of sin brought the gift of righteousness. The planet should have melted when they struck Jesus with the first blow, told the first lie about it. But God allowed it to happen to demonstrate His love for us. So even as that sin was being performed, Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And Jesus' prayers get answered, saints. So I don't care what you've done. I don't care how unworthy you are. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. He paid it all. He paid it all. Why am I so passionate about this? Because I know those of us who've been in church the longest often have been ripped off. Because maybe we were taught to behave, and it's important to live right. There's consequences to living wrong. But if we heap shame on people, we'll never help them. We'll never help them. We'll never help them. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him would not perish but might have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world, verse 17, to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The world is already condemned. They don't need our help in that area. They need our help in preaching the good news that Jesus Christ came to free them from shame and from guilt. Great joy was in Samaria. Great joy can be in our town. Could the amazing fruitfulness of Philip's ministry in Samaria be somehow related to Christ's ministry there? I think so. He sowed and they harvested. Those who had been shamed for their lack of pure Jewish culture and contaminated religion had now found the real shame-free zone. The one who had visited their region earlier had now returned through the Holy Spirit and the church to redeem them from the shame of sins done by them and to them. The shame-freeing ministry of Jesus was continuing and is continuing today in the earth. In conclusion, if you read further in that story, Philip leaves Samaria. The apostles from Jerusalem come down and start laying hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip in verse 26, saying, Arise, go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So the Holy Spirit sends him to this desert. He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. So he's not Jewish. He's African. And he's a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. I cannot imagine how he was feeling and why he was reading Isaiah. 
But he was going back home, maybe with a sense of disappointment. Because under the law of Moses, you were not allowed in the temple if you were a eunuch. You see, the law pointed out our imperfections, showed us our need for a Savior. And so he obviously knew there was a need for a Savior because he was a eunuch. The Spirit said to Philip, verse 29, Go near and overtake this chariot. Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip jumps on board the chariot. The place in the scripture in which he read was this. It's from Isaiah 53. We read it last week. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation... His justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? You see, having no one to declare your generation at your death, that phrase, you can check it out by reading Isaiah 53 and other modern translations, that phrase says he died without children. That was a sad thing in that day because that meant you would not be remembered because you wouldn't be included in the genealogy of someone, you know. Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot his 12 sons and his son Joseph begot Ephraim and Manasseh. If anybody in that lineup had died, it would cut off the following generations. And so this was part of the shame that Jesus bore that he would die not having children. Thank God he arose from the dead. Now he has many. He can be born again. The pain of that was with the eunuch. He was a eunuch. He couldn't have kids. He had been neutered. So the day would come when he would die without children. So he had that shame. And so Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, and preached Jesus to him. The life-changing, shame-freeing love of God was proclaimed from this scripture. And as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He heard the good news. He commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Don't know where he lived exactly in Ethiopia, but if you flew directly from Jerusalem to Addis Ababa, it's over 1,500 miles. The man had a ways to travel. But on the journey, he went home worshiping, having found the new covenant, the shame-freeing New Testament of Jesus having heard the gospel. And history says he went home and led the queen to the Lord and she built the first church building in Ethiopia. In the 4th century, Ethiopia was one of the first countries to declare itself to be Christian. And today, Ethiopia stands strong in a part of the world having been under dictatorships and communist reign and had its share of problems. But today... Surrounded by Islamic countries, Ethiopia is 62.8% Christian. Now, they need a revival. This man had an impact. He had many children. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you free us from shame. And thank you, Lord, for the revelation that your life 
was about and is about freeing people from shame. Lord, I pray anyone here with shame, may that shame drive them to you, that they come boldly to the throne of grace to receive freedom. Let's stand. I'm going to commission you. If you live with a sense of shame, I want to commission you before the sun goes down today to get on your knees and confess all the sins again to Him and then by faith say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness and I rebuke all condemnation off of my life. The question in my heart this morning is how much more the cause of Christ can be furthered if we all live in the shame-free zone and help others to find it. Is your past keeping you silent? Is your testimony being muffled? Those of us who've had much to be forgiven of should be the most bold and most vocal because we've been freed from the most. Those who've been forgiven much, love much. And Father, I also pray that we would free people from shame. That we would find ways to express love and forgiveness with our own lives in Jesus' name. Lord, correct our theologies. God, we want to be accurate with the truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may you live in and find and help others find the real shame-free zone. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get them, Tiger. I was shattered by the fall Broken and forgotten Feeling lost and all alone Summoned by the king Into the master's courts Lifted by the savior And cradled in his arms I was carried to the table Savior called my name